Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. What is the Christian life? In this bonus message through Empires Volume 3, we answer this question as Pastor Andy McGowan teaches through Romans chapter 12. Enjoy the message. What is the Christian life? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean? Uh, you know, again, this is a kind of a, uh, an elusive question. Uh, do we know what it means to be a Christian? Last week, my family, we traveled from, uh, we, were, we were away on vacation. We missed you. Brandon gave an amazing message, uh, Osmar, amazing message the week before. Uh, we were traveling along the Atlantic Ocean. Now, a lot of times, our family, we like to create an initiative. Okay, what can we do that's unique? Uh, so we rented a van from Milwaukee, and we drove right out uh, to uh, Portland, Maine, and we wanted to hit a beach, get sand from a beach, whether we swam there or we just kind of waved at it and left. We wanted to get sand from a beach in every state on the eastern seaboard that touched the Atlantic Ocean. It was awesome about until about South Carolina, and we're like, oh, do we have to keep doing this, right? But I'm glad that we did. We made it all the way down to Florida, and as kind of a celebration when we got to Florida, uh, we... Uh, we chartered a boat. It wasn't really a charter. It was like buying a ticket to get on a national park boat where they would take you into the ocean to just some uh, uninhabited islands where you can take a hike. It's, um, it was amazing in the Biscayne Bay. And so we took this boat with the, and uh, went into this, uh, took a hike on, on one of these deserted islands. And the boat was captained by a young man named Stephen. Uh, he went to law school, but then he decided he'd rather just be a be a captain on a boat. Uh, yeah, man. I was like, really? You wanted to be a lawyer? So he'd be like the dude lawyer, I guess. And then there was Sarah. She was kind of the, the skipper. She was uh, learning uh, his, his, his ways, learning how to uh, captain a boat and all the facts that I've already forgotten about all the different bays and things like that. Uh, what was really interesting is that, of course, they always ask the question, what do you do for a living? All right, I've mentioned this before. They said, what do you do for a living? I'm like, oh, oh, here we go. It's like, I'm a pastor. And immediately they're like, oh, right? <laughs> and so immediately I asked the question, the follow-up, well, do you go to church? And Sarah immediately was like, no, I do not go to church. I was like, oh, really? It's like, she began to look at all the bays and she looked at the ocean and said, this is my cathedral. This is my church. This is where I commune with the divine. Oh, interesting, interesting. In fact, uh, uh, the divine is, 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 well, I believe that all, everything is the, kind of the same. I, I believe that even the water is divine. Water's here in the bay, water's in animals, water is in our bodies as well. I believe it's divine. Don't you think? And at this point, I'm like, and she could tell. I'm a no poker face right there, right? She goes, well, you know, I'm not really religious, Sarah continued. And I said, well, neither am I. That really confused her. It's like, aren't you a pastor? I'm like, yeah, yes, I am a pastor, but it's not about religion. It's not about all these different things and checking all these different boxes and trying to prove how good you are. It's about relationship. And again, you could see like if she had the deer in the headlights eyes this time. You know, we're both looking at each other like deers in the headlights. And then eventually she just kind of went in the back of the boat and sat the rest of the time. I'm like, well, that went really well, all right? And I want to share that with you for number one is that not all of my stories of sharing Jesus end really well, but I do know the gospel doesn't return in void. There's a seed planted, and I, my prayer is that somebody in Florida is going to pick up that conversation. But it was really interesting. Her view of God was that God was really anything you wanted to make God to be. In fact, that's really popular today. It's popular in the church. Even we as Christians, sometimes we do that. We're like, you know what? Jesus is to me 
My Jesus is, and they began to lay out all the characteristics they like about Jesus, conveniently throwing out the inconvenient facts about Jesus, right? A lot of people want to talk about Jesus was kind, but they don't talk about the Jesus that tipped over the table, right? They want to talk about the Jesus that, it, that God so loved the world, but they're not talking about the Jesus that said that many are on the road to destruction and won't find God. And so, by the way, I did ask Sarah, where did you get that idea of, of the water being God? She goes, oh, TikTok. All right, I want you to know this. I want, it, seems, it seems crazy, but the thing is, memes and TikTok are really informing culture, not only on religion, but on politics, on worldviews, you name it. We'll talk a little bit about that in our Doubting God series, but I felt I, I, felt I just wanted to mention that, that, that that's where they got that idea. So people are being theologically trained and informed by 30-second videos of people dancing and saying things, apparently. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, if you ask Sarah what it means to be a Christian is to, well, just be part of the great circle of life. But I believe this is a question that's really important for any person in this room this morning, whether you're new to church or checking things out, or you've lived the Christian life for many, many years, it's important to answer this question correctly. Because what is a Christian isn't as straightforward as we think it is. The term Christian actually has been very watered down uh, in society. Uh, for many to be a Christian just simply means to like, oh yeah, I'm cool with Jesus, right? I I I'm cool. Or, or maybe for a Christian, they understand what Jesus was about, uh, so they may understand facts. Maybe to be a Christian, it has to do with your family background. You're like, okay, my grandma was a Christian and my parents are a Christian, so therefore I'm a Christian. And, and for many, uh, being a Christian is just turning on Christian radio, K-Love, maybe it's filling your calendar with Christian things, but really it's just your life is filled with Christian activity, but not really Christian conviction. You see, to be a Christian is much more than just knowing facts or having an historical uh, family uh, allegiance to Jesus or, or to filling your calendar with Jesus things. No, you see, to be a Christian isn't theoretical. It's not theoretical. It's not just theory of knowing things and saying or these things. It's actually living out the teachings, it's living out and becoming more like the person of Jesus Christ. To be a Christian, it's not just cultural, it's central to who you are. And for many of us, Christians have been reduced to a bumper sticker, a t-shirt, a Facebook post, or knowing the Christian lingo. But being a Christian is not theoretical. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is looking at the pages of Scripture. It's understanding who Jesus is. It's communing with him every day that we get to talk to him. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit that we're able to live in power with him through his power, through us. You see, when you read the pages of the scripture, you realize that Christian isn't just a title that you give yourself and like, okay, I'm cool. You realize that Christian is an action. That Christian was a, a pejorative. People said that all these little people following Jesus, they're little Christ's. It was a pejorative. It was, it was a term that was used to make fun of people and they just took it. All right, all right, we'll take that. Little Christ, okay, that sounds good to me. To be a Christian literally means a little Christ, one who follows Christ and reflects his teachings. So the heart of being a Christ follower is to follow Christ, but I want you to know this. The heart is following Christ, but the hallmark of one who follows Christ is love. And we unpacked this in our first portion of this message a few weeks ago. I wanna unpack this further. You see, John 13, 35 says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The love of God, the love of others must be a hallmark of the Christian life. Now, here's our main idea this morning. Love, the hallmark of the Christian life, love looks ahead. Love looks ahead. It looks ahead to the things of God, what God is doing, what God is doing through you. 
what God wants to do through you. Love comes from the Father, and love looks ahead and trust to God. Let's review a little bit about the word love, by the way. I, I don't want to miss this. We, we unpacked this a few weeks ago, but let's review. Again, if you were to go down the street and you're going to ask anybody, what is love? They'd often say it's a feeling that makes you happy. It's something that satisfies you as a person. Love is whatever you want to make with it as long as you're cool with it. And this idea of love in culture has given to the vagueness of what love is. With that said, people are pursuing this vague, self-serving nature of love that they've made it a God. C.S. Lewis warned us many decades ago. He said, love begins, love begins to be a demon the moment he begins to become our God. You see, we must be very careful when we begin to rationalize or live by the phrases of do what you love or, or love is what you make it or you know, love what you want to love. Why? Because the Bible is clear. Love is not what we make it. Love actually comes from something, and that something is the person of Jesus Christ. It comes in the character of God himself. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. It goes on to 1 John 4, 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might, love, might live through him. God is love. It's the very embodiment of love, and his action of love was this, that when we wanted nothing to do with him, he loved us first, and he demonstrated his love by standing in the place we should be standing in, that is the punishment of sin. He stood in that place and took on the full wrath of God for every one of our sins, past, present, and future. That is love. God is the embodiment of love. Love comes from God. Love is sacrificial. God sent his son Jesus in love. Love is not from us, but from God, it is not what we make of it, it's what we receive from God. As Christians, we must reflect not the world's understanding of love, but the embodiment of love, the originator of love, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But to be a Christ follower, we must follow his example of love, a love that is genuine, one that's based on his truth, one that is not conditional, but it's unconditional, a love that's not fueled by just transactional actions. You, you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. That's how the world does it. Uh, no, uh, not a vindictive uh, spirit of you better do this for me or else I won't love you. No, that's not it at all. But a love that covers a multitude of transgressions. The love of God loves the forward movement of his kingdom, which means our life does not consist of just our possessions or our, our popularity or what people think of us. A forward movement of his kingdom is a life that is dedicated to making Jesus known through every aspect of our life. To show a world that we are different, not by the way that we treat each other as the world treats each other, but by grace upon grace upon grace that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that brings us to our text this morning, Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Love looks ahead, so if love looks ahead, love must, number one, love and expectation. Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Now we see two lists of commands here in uh, verse 12 and verse 13. One has to do with your attitude and the other, your attitude towards others. So your general attitude towards life, and then your attitude towards others. So the first list, we see the commands to be joyful in hope, to be patient in affliction, and to be faithful in prayer. 
Love is seen when we have joyful expectation coming out from us. Uh, joyful expectation, a joyful in hope. Hope literally in the Greek means to expect something good. Did you know that? Oftentimes we use the word hope as a throwaway word. Oh, I hope that happens with no expectation it's going to happen. But biblical hope is this. It's expecting, it's as good as done. It's expecting something good is about to happen. In Christ, we can trust his promises. When Jesus Christ gives a promise, when we read a promise in God's word, whether it's current or it's in the future, we can trust that his promises are as good as done. Uh, he, we, we read in scripture that he's doing a good work in you, uh, being confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's good as done, isn't it? When we realize that things are going on and going wrong in our life and we don't understand what's happening, we realize that God works everything for the good, for those called according to his purposes, for those that love him. We realize that God is working despite what we understand. It's good as done. We understand when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that you're adopted, that you're called sons and daughters of the king. It's good as done. We realize that Jesus Christ is coming back. We realize that it might be far off. It may be tomorrow. It may be next week. It may be 100 years from now. But we know he said he's coming back. He's coming soon. It is good as done. We do know that when we're in eternity, when we're in heaven, there'll be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. There will be healing to all every single one of us, whether it's emotional, spiritual, physical, you name it. It is good as done. When God promises something, church, it is what? It is good as done. That is hopeful expectation. That's realizing it's not this Pollyanna hope of like, oh, I, I hope I win the lottery. No, it's not that at all. It's realizing you have won the lottery. You've won the jackpot. Jesus Christ has adopted to you as a son and daughter when you place your faith and trust in him, and you are now, you are now the recipient of his favor, his grace. That's joyful expectation. For people to see the love of God in you, they must see the joy in your belief that God is who he says he is, that Jesus indeed saves, that after, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that indeed you are commissioned for a mission that's so much bigger than our earthly lives, a mission for the kingdom of God that will last forever. When God promises, it is good as done. How would the world look different if the church believed that? How would your life look different if you believe that? If you believe the promises of God are as good as done, you trust in God and what he said is good as done, how would, how would your love be realigned? You see, you are what you love is a statement. And I think there's some truth to that is that whatever we find um, of value, whatever we fall in love with, we will give ourselves to that, our money to that, you name it. But would there be an adjustment if you actually enlarged your view of what God can do and is doing? You know, the world's a beautiful place. And every time I come back from a, we just explore a mountain or an ocean, it's like, ah, oh, it's just wonderful. And you can't but help to think, you know, especially as we're getting down to Florida and it was a little bit more tropical. I remember there was a few years back, there was a, a Hawaiian with his little ukulele singing uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Somewhere over the rainbow. You know, it's like, I was like, yeah. Or I was thinking of a, what a wonderful world. You know, it's like, yo, this is really, this is just really beautiful. And then I realized that's kind of, let's just get real here. Let's get Debbie Downer for a second. Actually, let's just go to Realville. This world is beautiful, but it's filled with evil. 
this, however we serenate this world and whatever when we choose to look at something beautiful, we know that this world is broken and there is evil that is permeating in every continent and every city of this world. We love to idealize the view of this world to a point to where people without God will worship it. In fact, when I was on the ocean last week, I saw painted on a boardwalk that we're just one big family. One big family. We are one. And we had the picture, was everybody joining hands. It kind of made me think of, you know, the song, okay, back to the 1980s people, right? Those of you that survived the 80s, we are the world, right? Makes you feel good. It makes you feel good. But the thing is this, the Bible doesn't sing we are the world. The Bible reminds us that the world's evil. What's it mean by that? Does that mean that we should shun and that we should hunker down and say, okay, God, I'm gonna wait till you come back? No, 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 not that at all. It means that this world is broken, that this world has been busted by evil. When the first human beings came on, they said no to the obedience of God and his command. And from that point forward, every single one of us has done something evil uh, in our lives. And evil has permeated the whole entire universe. God created the heavens and the earth and it was good, but sin broke it. And God is going to come back to redeem it. And we must remember this and not fall in love with this present age, but to know that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, uh, you are given a commission as a citizen of the kingdom that's much bigger than the 80 years or 90 years that you live on this place. Galatians 1.4 says, He who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Jesus came to rescue us from this world. We are in this world. We have a mission for this world. We're not to fall in love with this world as if this is heaven. It's not heaven. And Kenosha City Church, we've been given a privilege to represent Jesus Christ and represent his gospel through the love of people, the love of God, through the love of what he is doing. Ephesians 5.15, Paul warned the church. He said, pay careful attention then how to walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of time because the days are, there it is again, evil. The time is evil. What's it mean by that? He's saying this. It's not like, oh no, my watch is evil. Oh no, There's, I see a countdown clock. Oh no. no. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. He's reminding us, this planet is not your permanent home. Every second that goes by is a second that cannot be recovered. The time is evil, meaning that we're under a sentence of death. The, the, the actual uh, time is, is, is actually the measurement of decay, right? Uh, time reminds us that there's a beginning and an end date to our lives. Everyone dies. It's not supposed to be that way. That's why every funeral, is, it, it feels heavy because we realize it wasn't supposed to end this way, but we were created by the goodness of God to live forever in perfect relationship with Christ, but sin entered and we die, right? And so the, what, we're being, what we're being encouraged by Paul is this, as Christians, we're told to redeem our time in this world, in the wisdom of our Lord for him. To redeem our time, meaning this, is that we don't waste our life with things that we're going to get bored with or are going to break or that they come to an end, but that we invest our lives in things that are forever. Our hope is not found in this world, and Paul reminds us this. Don't rejoice by setting your hope on the things of the earth. You will not have uh, this joy you will not have this joy, this love that looks forward if you're, if you're stuck with your vision exclusively on the things of this earth. But through the deliverance of Jesus Christ and his, and his resurrection, 
by his, him standing in your place, your sin slate was forever cleared. Our hope is found solely in him and him alone. But the world's message is the exact opposite. And it's knocking on your, your heart's door every single day. Uh, this world says, your possessions, that's where your hope is. Uh, your 401k, that's where your hope is. By the way, these things aren't bad. It's just not where we put our hope, right? Uh, your friendships, that's where your hope's at, right? Uh, your, your popularity, uh, your, your job. Uh, listen, here, all of these things, your hobbies, all of these things pass away. The fun will wear off. You will grow tired. We will all meet our end. And in the end, it's the end. And we'll stand before God. And even Christians, Christ followers, we can forget this. We can forget. Uh, we might not say it out loud. We not, might not even believe it in our minds. But our actions, we forget this. That our hope is not in this world. It's not. It's the almighty God. And our hope is in the kingdom that comes. Without Christ, there is no hope. So how does the world see a difference and our conviction in action. Followers of Christ, living in a loving expectation of what God is going to do and what he will do through you is what they need to see. This world is to see our love for him and each other, a love that is defined by the person and plan of Jesus Christ and the advancement of that plan, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world will only see the love of Christ if the love of Christ looks ahead with great expectation. A love that's looking ahead with great expectation is not stuck on the past, it's not bitter about disappointments. Uh, it, it's, it doesn't drown in the drama of the day. You know why people drown in the drama? Because in the moment, drama is fun, but drama never lifts you up out of the vat of which you are drowning in. You could try to put on the Christian veneer on things that you know are not of God, but what you love will always rise to the surface. Hope is then manifest, and it must be manifest then in our joy, joy in our praise, Joy in our study of the scriptures and reading of the Bible. Joy in our relationships with one another. Joy in the everyday and the mundane. Oh yeah, tomorrow when you go to work, if it's still raining like this, you ain't gonna go to work, right? Well, guess what? Are people gonna see the joy of God in the mundane in your life? And it's that missing element where people are like, I don't know why I'd go to church, why? You're miserable, right? Verse 12, be joyful in hope. The world's gonna see your hopeful, joyful expectation things of God. They must be central and of highest value in your life. But I can't tell you how often people lose their joy because of circumstances in life. They lose their joy, because they stop because hardships derail you. Look at this, verse 12, be joyful in hope. But the next one is patient in affliction. Why did Paul put that there? Because he knew one of the greatest hindrances to your joy is going to be circumstances that challenge you so much in your life. So we're to have an attitude of, of, of joyful hope, but we're also to have an attitude of, of being patient in our affliction. Because affliction will derail you or it tries to derail you. What has derailed you in life? If you're a follower of Christ, what made you stop for a season where you just weren't just as on fire for Jesus? Or, or what, what has caused you to, you know, if you're here just checking things out, we're like, what caused you to kind of put God on the sidelines or not consider him? What has derailed you? Or what has the potential to derail you? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't even know you've been derailed. A few years ago, a Kenosha man 
uh, I mean, he drove through Kenosha. I don't know if he was a Kenosha man. Uh, he made national news when he drove through I-94 through town. He was, uh, he was driving a Tesla that had autopilot. This, these are, when you put on autopilot on these versions of Tesla, they actually drive themselves, all right? And so he's like, I'm going to put it on autopilot, and he fell asleep, all right? Well, when he was going through Kenosha, he was zooming. He was going like 82, 83 miles an hour. And you know some of those guys that just are on the side of the road, and they're just running radar the whole time. You know, you know where to slow down, right? Well, he didn't. He was sleeping, all right? And so he, he zoomed past the Kenosha police officer. They're like, all right, sweet, easy ticket. They go to pull him over. He's not pulling over. They were like flashing their lights at him for two minutes. He was driving through on I-94 through Kenosha, going 83 miles an hour, and he was asleep. Finally, with all the flashing lights, he woke up, pulled over, and the officer's like, why didn't you pull over? I know why you didn't pull over. You were asleep. And he's like, uh-uh, I wasn't asleep. You kidding? I was just tired. I wasn't asleep. He didn't even know he's asleep. Because he was on autopilot. He didn't even know where he's at. Look, some of us in this life, we're on autopilot. We're going 100 miles an hour in life. Uh, we, we are asleep spiritually, and we don't even know it. And God is saying this morning, hey, I'm pulling you over so that you know you're asleep because I'm here to wake you up. So literally, we will face situations in life that are crushing, that could derail you. What are they? And notice this, I'm not going to say you could face situations or tribulations or hardships. You will. You will. You know, someone that tells you that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that all your problems of life will go away. Have you ever heard of that before? I mean, they sell these books. I see them sometimes in gas stations and the Christian rackets. All these guys are smiling. They're like, your life is going to be totally easy once you place your faith and trust in Jesus, right? Uh, you know, your life is going to get really, really, really good. It might. It might get really, really good. I've seen people place their faith and trust in Jesus and like their whole life flipped around just like that. I've seen other people struggle their entire life. In fact, I have seen people that place their faith and trust in Jesus and their life just went crazy. It is not about receiving Jesus to make your life good for next week. It's about receiving Jesus so that he'll walk with you no matter what hardship or storm you're going to go through. It's about thriving, surviving, and growing no matter what situation you're going to find yourself in life. And it may get good. It may get hard. It may be somewhere in between. But guess what? Every single person, no matter what they're experiencing in the now, can end up in the end stronger and more like Christ. And I'm looking at everybody in this room. I don't know all your stories. I don't know all you're going through. Some of you might be feeling something crushing this morning. What I can tell you is no matter what you're feeling, I know that the end result is let Christ walk with you. You'll thrive with him. Tribulations. Uh, that is the word that we see here. Uh, affliction can be translated tribulations. Uh, they come in many forms. Uh, they're circumstances. Uh, they, are, they are situations in, in life uh, that are crushing. Uh, in fact, uh, that's the, the word comes from a, a, the original language that literally took corn and crushed it to make flour. So when people heard the word tribulation, they, 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 they recognized this, this crushing action that took something so solid and, and made it into a fine flour. And that's where some of us, we feel this morning. We're like, man, I'm just in something so crushing. Our circumstances this morning, they may be uh, relational. 
You may feel like your relationships are broken. You're on the brink of divorce. Your kids are running from Jesus. Maybe you're facing hard circumstances at work. You're on the brink of being laid off. Or you're just your work culture's tough. Or maybe you're on the brink of burnout. Maybe you're, you're facing spiritual persecutions, perhaps. And maybe you're the only family member that knows Jesus. Or your coworkers that make fun of you because your relationship with Jesus. And it's just become unbearable. Maybe mentally, physically, or spiritually, you're facing somewhere in that category. If you face somewhere in that category, uh, circumstances that have been crushing. But no matter what you are going through, your circumstances or your persecutions, God is going to use that to press you. He's going to use it to press you so that the things that are lodged in your heart, the very things that you didn't know that were in your heart, will come to the surface so that God can begin to work on those things. Make no mistake, no matter if somebody's doing something wrong to you or no matter if something's happened to you circumstantially, you're under no control, it just happened to you, God is controlling, he's sovereign, and he's allowing these things to make you more like Christ. I want you to know, you can go through any and all circumstances strong. Stronger. You need to know that. You can come out of these situations stronger. The Apostle Paul, he knew hardship. He was gossiped about. He was called a false apostle many times. Uh, he was told that what he was doing wasn't coming from the right heart. That he was trying to do it for his own fame. Uh, he was shipwrecked on a number of times. He was, uh, he was persecuted with physical threats and abuse. He was eventually killed. But his hope never stopped. His joy never ceased. He was patient through his tribulations. So how can we be patient through our tribulations? It's one thing for me this morning to say, just do it, right? Have you heard of that advice before? Oh, you know, God wants this for your life, so just do it, right? All right, see you next week. You're like, yeah, that was, okay, thanks, right? What, are some pra- what, is, what is a practical way to get through these tribulations? And Paul gives it to us. He wants, us to, he wants us to be joyful, right? Joyful in hope. He wants us to be patient in affliction. But how can we do this? You can't do it from yourself. That's why he says right here, be faithful in prayer. That's the only way we can do it. Is we need to pray through the storms. We need to pray through every aspect of our life. You have bold access, VIP access to God the Father. We can approach him at all times with anything and everything. But listen, it's, it's easier to go to God when things are hard. Even atheists at times will go to God when things are really, really hard. God wants your attention in the hard times, but also in the good times. Because it's when you go to God in all the times, you begin to learn the character of God. You begin to learn who God is. You begin, you begin to understand his still, small voice. He brings remembrance of scripture to your mind. These are things that are so vitally important on the front end of the storm where most people give up. When you pray through the storms, when you are trusting who God is, you will not be shaken by whatever comes. When you pray through the storms, you won't give up just when breakthrough is about to occur. Did you know that? Most people, whether it's inventions, whether it's, whether it's athletes, they give up just before breakthrough. So, we're told that we need to be patient. Now, we often think of the word being patient as a negative word. Who likes to be told, be patient, right? Especially to my kids, it's like a threat, right? Hey, you, Elias, be patient, right? It's like, it's, it's like a reprimand. And so when you read scripture, it's easy to be like, be patient, Right? Be patient in your tribulations. Okay, Paul, I know. No, 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 no. He's not using this as a negative word. He's using this actually as a very positive word. That as you go through patience, you're going to grow. 
you're going to grow. So when the storm comes, what are you going to do? You know, my kids, uh, they, uh, they, they hate thunderstorms. In fact, I know this because they wake me up at 3 in the morning, all right? Whenever there's a, when there's a, a, a clap of thunder, uh, they, were, they get out of their beds, they start screaming, they jump in our bed, and they start literally jumping and waking us up. It's storming, it's storming. I heard. And finally I realized, you know what? I was going to be a meteorologist, right? They should trust me on this one, right? I said, okay. Hey, kids, I got something for you. You need to ask me, or you need to look at me, if it's thundering outside and it's storming outside and I'm sleeping through the storm or my face is calm, do you need to worry? I said, no. It's taking some practice, right? But whenever they, you know, get worked up, now I say, hey, is, is, is your dad scared? Like, no, you're not scared. You can go back to bed now. You know what? That's what happens when we go to our father, our perfect heavenly father. I'm not perfect by any means, right? Our perfect heavenly father wants to receive you in these storms. Because as you trust him through the storms of life, this is what the key of being patient is about. When you're being patient, he's actually building your spiritual muscles. He's building your spiritual endurance to be able to go through any and all things that actually, no matter what you're feeling, no matter how hard the situation is or how heartbreaking the situation is, when you enter and exit out of that storm, you are stronger and more like Christ. James chapter 1 verse 2, it says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces, here it is, endurance. And let endurance have its full effect that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. If you are not going through a storm in your spiritual life, I want you to know this. You're missing something. Maybe you're playing it too safe. Because the Lord sends us through storms to grow us and strengthen us, that we have endurance, to mature us, to become the people of God, lacking in nothing, James says. So love and expectation, it looks beyond the storm. And it looks to the one who gets us through the storm. That is how we're able to be joyful in hope. We will not be joyful in hope if we're allowing the storms to take up our mind. If we're refusing to go to God with our storms, it's going to be just outward, going through the motions. Yes, I have hope in Christ, but you're not going to feel it in your heart. It takes going to God with these things. So love and expectation, pray through the storms. We see something else here then. So that's our attitude for ourselves. We see then God shifts us here. Paul speaks of shifting us to having an attitude towards something else here, and it's towards others. You see, when you have the right attitude towards yourself and God, you then begin to have a right attitude towards others. You can't begin to have a right attitude towards others if you're not going to have a right attitude towards God. Does that make sense? And so what we see here in verse 12, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. So if we're to love and expectation, we need, to, we need to pray through the storms. But secondly, we need to have an open door. Now, this seems odd. When I was reading this and studying this, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. You just went through, uh, you know, you went through tribulation and, and hardship and that we need to pray to you with this. And now you're talking about hospitality. Really? That's the last thing I'm thinking of, right? Uh, many of us are like, we're in survival mode. You want, people to, you, want, you want us to have people over? But this is why Paul Places here. As Christians, we're meant to be hospitable people. 
Uh, we, we are part of the, uh, having a loving expectation is to share our lives with others. Loving expectation isn't distracted by the storm, but rather it's focused on the mission of God and the person of God. We're to have an open door to the people of God through hospitality. Now, again, the reason why Paul brings this up is specifically is because of tribulation, many people lost their homes. Uh, they, the people confiscated their homes, they were homeless, and so people are like, hey, you know what? If there's people in need in the household of God, uh, we need to help them. And we see that. We see there's a general need, to, hey, we need to help people around the world, but you, I'm going to say this here. It's, I, I don't hear it very often, but it's very clear in the New Testament. Paul's primary concern was for the people in his local church. If there's somebody that is struggling in this local church this morning, you need to let us know. Right? Because the thing is this, uh, whoever is struggling in the local church, we we need to care for. Yes, we need to care for the world, but we shouldn't care for the world at the expense of people that are in the family of God that are struggling. And that is why hospitality is right here. He realized there are people in the context of the body of Christ that didn't even have a home and we need to practice this hospitality. But but, but God, we, we, we could get persecuted too. I know, but if you trust God, you can open your door. So hospitality is something that's not just a gift. It's something that's expected of all of us. Now, I know that kind of gets us freaked out. You know, some of us are like, I don't have the gift of hospitality. I hate hospitality. And we all have different ideas of what hospitality is. In fact, me growing up in Iowa, hospitality gets a little weird, okay? So <laughs> it's called the Iowa goodbye, all right? You have people over. People just drop by. Like, I guess we're having dinner with you tonight, right? You just drop by. But the th- here's the thing. The Iowa goodbye, it's long, all right? Like, if you don't start the Iowa goodbye, like, if you're too late starting the Iowa goodbye, you're going to be there till midnight, all right? And so the Iowa goodbye is this. You're sitting down. You slap your, you slap your knees. All right, okay. Uh, it's been a good night. And that's kind of the signal. Okay, we're beginning to say goodbye, all right? We're beginning to say goodbye. And so everybody kind of gets up and kind of meander around. It takes another 20 minutes to get to the front door. I know it's only 20 steps, but it takes 20 minutes. Why? Because you keep on talking. You're talking in uh, the, the foyer way, right? So you talk for 20 minutes, you give the high fives, the hugs, the goodbyes, all that stuff, and then you touch the doorknob. That's another 10 minutes, all right? And you're having a conversation, like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, oh, it's great. Wasn't meal great? Wasn't our conversation 10 minutes ago great? Oh, it's all great, right? Yeah, it's great. And then finally you open up the door. This is another five minutes. The homeowner stands uh, in the house while the person, the guest, stands on the porch. You talk for another five minutes. And then finally they go to the car. You wave from, listen, my grandparents did this all the time. I thought it was a little weird. They wave until they can't even see your car anymore, right? And then when you're done, you get on the phone, or today you text and say, I was really happy you came tonight. Thank you for coming tonight, all right? That is the Iowa goodbye, all right? Now, I know somebody like, well, we do that in Wisconsin too. Well, okay, fine, the Midwestern goodbye. That's hospitality for some of you. Some of you, you're smiling, you're nodding your head because you do it, all right? I do it. I'm sorry, all right? Just know that. You need about an extra 20 minutes to say goodbye, all right? But we all have different ideas of what hospitality is all about. It doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be, you know, extravagant and completely extroverted. But as Christians, we are to open our lives to the body of Christ. Because here's the deal. We're stuck with the body of Christ forever. Your brothers, the Bible says we're brothers and sisters of the king. Guess what? If you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you stuck with each other, all right? Your whole life. Right? It, it, there, there's a term that says, you know, blood is thicker than water, you know, and it, the whole idea is like, you know, families, no matter the hardship, they stick together. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. He actually modified this quote. He said, blood is thicker than water, you say, but I say the spirit is thicker than blood because he's the Holy Spirit of God. Ooh, oh yeah. 
You are stuck with one another, which means this. We need to make sure that we're encouraging each other, spurring one another on in the things of God and the mission of God because it's all about Jesus, amen? And there are people and kids and missionaries uh, that are saying thank you this morning because you're opening your lives up. There are, we have kids and city kids uh, that are saying thank you to the volunteers. Thank you for the people that have opened their lives up to them. There, there are people saying that they're feeling the recipients of hospitality because of our host team and the donuts and the coffee. Oh, yeah. All right. It is awesome. Right. Uh, people are saying thank you because of in city groups. People are literally opening their homes. Uh, missionaries, our mission partners around the world. We had one a few weeks ago. We're literally children in Kenya are saying thank you this morning. People are saying thank you because we're opening our lives up and our time and our talent and our treasures. It, it doesn't return void. It's the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's investing in one another to become more like Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Guess what? It's not that, oh, I have to go to church. Oh, it's raining out this morning. Uh, it's, we get to go to church. Why? Because we get to be part of something much bigger than my life, much bigger than my hobbies, much bigger than my work, much bigger than my retirement. I get to serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who's sitting on the throne forever, and I get to experience him together with you all forever. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I think so. I'm getting all excited about that. So hospitality, oh, it's a good thing, all right? Some of us, we'll do it differently. That's okay. We're not to do this life alone. And that's what's beautiful about love. Love looks ahead. Love looks in expectation. It, 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 it gets through the storms through prayer. It has an open door. But secondly, love... We need to love an expectation, but we need to love in any and all circumstance. Paul introduces the idea of tribulation, but he takes it a notch stronger, a particular tribulation that you and I will all probably face at some point in life. It's persecution. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Uh, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Uh, the circumstance we see here specifically is persecution. Uh, this is a more specific uh, tribulation again, uh, which deals with the mistreatment of a person due to their allegiance, in this case, to Jesus. Uh, Paul wrote to the church, so that they wouldn't be surprised. We're told throughout scripture, do not be surprised that you're going to be persecuted for your faith. Now, that doesn't mean that you go around and try to get people angry at you because you believe in Jesus. That's being annoying, okay? We need to lovingly share relationally and relentlessly our faith and love of Jesus Christ, uh, okay? Uh, but listen, if someone hates you because of that, okay, that's called persecution. But if you're like, hey, you know what? I believe in Jesus and you don't, and you're going to hell. Guess what? You just did something kind of silly, all right? You didn't do it in love, all right? And so persecution, sometimes people say, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, you're, you're being kind of foolish. Real persecution is this. Because you believe in Jesus, people are treating you differently. And you know what? When it happens, we're always like, oh, why is this happening? Like, can you believe that? I'm so angry that I'm being persecuted. Listen, what did Jesus say? Jesus said this in John 13, 16. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. And Paul knew all this too well. Uh, I said he died earlier. He died by beheading. And most of the people that read his letters, they were killed too, or they were at least persecuted, and, and their homes were confiscated. It was hard. It was hard to be a Christian in the early church. That was persecution to them. Well, how do we face persecution today? Well, it comes in different forms. One is open persecution. This is an explicit mistreatment through physical harm that could result in death, 
financial harm and the loss of homes or means or verbal threats. That is happening around the world today. I've mentioned before, I went to a country once where literally worship was the iPhone placed on a song downloaded on the phone because you're not going to use the internet to uh, stream a song. And we worshiped whispering, how great is our God? Sing unto me, how great. Because if you said it any louder, you could get arrested. And at this time, ISIS was big. You could be beheaded, all right, kidnapped and beheaded. I said, what's, what's the greatest, like, you know, worry? What's the greatest threat that you have as missionaries? He's like, oh, you know, being kidnapped and beheaded. I'm like, what? You just say that so casually, right? It's because it's reality, right? People are literally being persecuted with their lives all around the world today. So there is open persecution. Uh, here in the United States, it could be the loss of a job. It could be someone that's specifically saying, I don't like you because of Jesus. That, that happens. Usually it's on the more verbal side. But here in the United States, we face what's called a little bit more subtle persecution. Uh, people kind of giving you the weird crossed eye because they know you're a Christian or they, they exclude you from things or, or they, they may... Uh, be kind of hostile towards things. And, and when that happens, uh, we're not to say, oh, yeah, well, how, how, why are you treat me that way? Uh, no, rather we're to love them. Jesus says we're to love those who persecute us, right? And so we are to try to lovingly win them to the kingdom of Jesus. But subtle persecution is what we face. But there's also persecution, what we see in Scripture, from the inside. Uh, make no mistake, persecution can happen between Christians, and Paul often faced this uh, with people in the church that often spoke behind his back. Uh, many people were jockeying for power. We see this in, in 1 Corinthians. We see this in Galatians. Uh, they were slandering him. And as a result, uh, many people were taken off mission. Uh, he, he, he said, you foolish Galatians, uh, who took you to another form of gospel? It's because people were talking behind his back, taking people off mission. When Paul was in prison, many people didn't even visit him. And I can assume because so many people from the inside of the church working against the gospel and Paul's message. And Paul's response was this. You need to get those people. You need to stop them. They're bad. They're mean. No. His response is this. Bless those, whether inside or outside of the church, that persecute you. How? Don't stoop to what they're doing. Don't return what we see here, evil for evil. Don't call down curses saying, God, would you just strike them down with lightning? Listen, why would you pray that for somebody that doesn't know Jesus? Yeah, they treated you mean, but what's bigger is that they know Jesus, so they're transformed, right? We need to pray for those people that bug the snot out of you, all right? You need to pray for them. And he said, God, I, I, I pray that they know you. I pray that they, could, they can come know the grace of Jesus Christ. And for those of the people that are brothers and sisters that, 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 are, that are opposed to you, and listen, again, you don't call down curses. You pray for, you pray for them for, for conviction. You, you pray that they would know the grace and love of Jesus Christ in those situations. We are to pray. That is how we are to bless those who persecute you. We are to pray for them that God would meet them. And yes, we condemn the actions as we pray for them. When, when you're, sometimes people are like, I don't want to pray for them because I don't want to condone them. Listen, you don't have to condone the actions of what they're doing. We pray for the person. We pray for the people. And no, when you're being persecuted, never forget, if it's for the gospel, it's for the gospel. And it's for the gospel. He's growing and strengthening you and creating a mighty witness through you. Know that God is using you and it doesn't return void. Love looks ahead. It does not get derailed. Love is, a, 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 we need to love and expectation. We need to love in any circumstance. And finally, love that looks ahead is a love that gives back, specifically in grace. We give back grace. We don't give back hardship. 
We don't give back with a spirit of vengeance. We give back in grace. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge, now we repay, says the Lord. So do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So listen, we are to pay back, but we don't pay back with vengeance. We pay back with the grace of Jesus Christ. And I know this is hard. It is hard, especially if somebody has really maligned you or someone has really done something to you. Maybe it's decades old, whatever it is. You're like, I don't want to even pray for this person. I don't want, listen, here's the deal. Someone may have done something so awful and you're struggling with that right now. You've been, you've been seeing your counsel with that. You, you're so mad, you're so bitter. And the very thought of praying for that person is just so awful, it's too much. But what I want to tell you is this. You can release the bitterness today. You start praying. You can release the bitterness today if you get over to God. Because when you, in the moment where I don't, I don't want to pray uh, for anything over this person, listen, isn't that what God did for you? That while you were yet sinners, when you wanted nothing to do with him, while you were enemies of the cross, he went to the cross so that we can know him and be reconciled to him. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are not to repay people with the harm they have done to us. We're to repay people with grace. This means you don't let what they did to you control you. It means you pray for them and you know the Lord is in control. If someone said something about you, lied to you, took something from you, uh, you're not to do the same thing back. Let the vengeance of the Lord be the vengeance of the Lord. Trust him and follow the Lord in all things, because when you don't, you will derail, you will not move that kingdom forward. We do see in verse 18, though, it says, if that possible be, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Listen, it may be impossible for you to make right with those who persecuted you. It actually may be dangerous, depending on your situation. But in most circumstances, I want you to know that you, well, in all circumstances, really, you can't control the actions of the person that's harmed you. But what you can do is you have the responsibility to give it all to the Lord. Now listen, what verse 18 is not saying here is that, uh, okay, this person, they were verbally saying things to you, this person, they threatened you, they lied about you, they've stolen from you. I, I guess I, verse 18 says, I need to be their best friend. No, 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 that's not what it's saying. You need to forgive but depending on the situation, you need to put up boundaries. You need to have conversations. Uh, you need to uh, make sure that the situation uh, is not going to repeat itself just by putting it under the rug. But most importantly, don't bring about the wrath of God yourself with an unforgiving spirit. Too often people do things in the name of God, which is actually bitterness and sin. You cannot paint a Christian veneer on something that's devoid of God. We often excuse our actions because we feel wholly unjustified in our situation. When we do this, we cast aside the word of God and we start buying into our own press. And that's why it says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Some of you need to stop thinking about the person or situation and you give it to God. You need to follow God headlong into what he's doing. You need to jump into his kingdom work. You need to invest in the lives of people becoming fully devoted. Invest in lives of sharing the gospel where people can pass from death spiritually into life. 
that we make every opportunity in our everyday life to show and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we let the other circumstances of life take our minds, it takes our eyes off the Lord, and we will not be loving forward, looking forward to the things of God, and your bitterness will pull you backwards. You'll be miserable, you'll be stuck, and you'll be off mission. But rather, in all of this, we're told to overcome evil by good. And that good is our Lord Jesus Christ and his mission. At Kenosha City Church, we, our mission, the reason why we exist, and we cannot deviate from this, we cannot derail from this, is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus by personally, it's not just something that somebody else does, by personally reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For love to look ahead, we must trust the mission that we've been entrusted with. This is not a mission that we as a subcommittee came up with. This is a mission that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us and is entrusting our church with. So therefore, we will lovingly look ahead. Look forward to the things of God and what he's going to do through you and I. We may not be in control of our situations, but we have the responsibility to lovingly entrust God in his sovereignty and his mission in our life. We need to let love look ahead. So here's our takeaway. If we're to pray through our storms, when do you pray? That's a good question, isn't it? Now, prayer isn't just a time where you get on your knees and you're like, okay, dear Jesus, and you're there for like 30 minutes. It can be that. There needs to be moments of time where you get away and pray by yourself, right? But prayer could be while you're driving. Just don't close your eyes, right? Uh, prayer could be while you're walking. Prayer could be when you're at your desk in your office. Uh, pray at all times, the Bible says. But when do you pray? Sometimes you're like, man, I know all that, but I forget. Set an alarm on your phone. Send an alarm on your phone three or four times throughout your day. Just have, a, just have a conversation with the Lord. Talk to him about your day. Ask him to help you with, with uh, the areas that you're struggling with in your life. Uh, confess any sins that are going on in your life. Uh, take time to, to, to encourage you and fill you with the Holy Spirit to empower you for mission. Man, wouldn't it be awesome? That desk that you feel like is just taking the life from you and your little cube, all of a sudden you meet the Holy Spirit, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. People are like, whoa, what's going on there? It's like, I'm just meeting with God. When do you pray? Number two, where's negativity robbing you? Where are you stuck? Not looking forward. Where is that negativity robbing you of seeing what God is doing? Number three, be honest here. Where are you vengeful? Where are you vengeful? And finally, number four, I ask these questions so that you get on a mission. Where can you be generous? Where can you have an open door? In your time, in your talent in your treasure. When you trust God lovingly, as you lovingly look forward and trust in his kingdom, you're gonna realize all that you have has been put on loan by God. Your life, your time, your money, your possessions, your friendship, your everything. How are you using it for the kingdom? We're gonna pray. And I just, I, I just want you to have, a, 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 just have the Holy Spirit meet with you. I don't want you to answer some of these questions and have a real raw moment with the Holy Spirit. But what I want to do first and foremost here is this. If there's anybody in this room that you haven't been made right with God, this is going to be your moment. This is going to be your moment. Maybe you're checking things out at church. Maybe you've been far from God. This is your moment to get right with God. Because listen, you can do a bunch of this stuff. It doesn't matter if you don't know God. You need to know God. This is how you know God. It's acknowledging that he made you. You're not a mistake. He made you on purpose. But the thing is, is you've sinned, you've done your own thing and you've been separated from God. But God, so full of love and mercy and kindness and compassion, sent Jesus 2,000 years ago 
fully God, fully man, Jesus, the son of God, to die on the cross. And when he went on that cross, he paid, he took the punishment for every one of the wrongs, the sin that you committed in the past and the present and the future. He paid it all on the cross. And because he was sinless, he was able to actually pay for it. That's why when he was buried in the ground when he died, he rose from the dead. He was able to defeat death. He is the life giver. And the Bible says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, if you believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. All those who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. For you, you just need to cry out to God right now. And you just need to tell him, Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus, save me. So let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Right now, for those of you in this room, you're like, you're just saying that right now, Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus, save me. Uh, he is, he's, he's meeting you right now. He died on the cross for you. He's forgiving you right now. With every head's bowed and eyes closed. If that's you right now, you're praying that prayer. You're like, Lord Jesus, I, I'm asking you to save me. No, it's not the prayer that saved you. Jesus saved you on the cross already. You're just receiving what he's already done for you. But if you're praying right now, Lord Jesus, save me. I want to place my faith and trust in you alone. Will you just let me know? With every head's bowed and eyes closed, just raise your hand right now. Say, like, ah, that's me. Awesome. I see you. Anybody else? Great. Awesome. I see you. Great. Anybody else? Great. I see you. Thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in this room right now. Thank you for those that are making sure that they are right with you. They're placing their full faith and trust in you alone, that you died on the cross to save them from their sins. Let's just pray with me. If you're placing your faith and trust in Jesus, let me just help you pray. Just pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I realize I've done wrong in my life. I need to get right with you. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you that you rose from the dead. Help me follow you now. In Jesus' name. As we continue to pray, I just pray for the Holy Spirit now just to fill us, to fill our minds, to show us where is the negativity in our life that's robbing us of seeing what God is doing. Where are we vengeful? Where do we need generosity to, to overflow in our lives? Where do we need to get back on mission? You know, I, I, just, as, just as I'm praying right now, I just really sense that there have been things in maybe many of our lives where it's taken us off mission. And the simple step that God wants us to do today isn't to dig, dig deeper into the drama. It's actually to dig deeper into his mission and go forward with the mission. It's really interesting. When you begin to follow the things of Jesus, oftentimes Jesus will take care of things that you could never take care of in the first place. Just get on a mission. Start focusing on, Lord, how can I represent you in every aspect of my life? Lord Jesus, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.